Awesome. So I'll invite Sam up to introduce him to you all if you didn't meet him last week. So Sam, tell us a bit about yourself. What do you do with your time? Uh, yeah, good to be with you again. Thank you if you were here last week and you've actually come back. That's nice of you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a church pastor by kind of training. I'm, I'm in the process of moving to the States to work for a church in Nashville. Awesome. So this isn't the first time you've been in Australia or even spoken at a Christian Union event. I'm sure you've learned some, some good and some bad things about our country. Um, what is a, a new uh, favourite or interesting thing you've learned or a new thing you dislike? Yeah, so last week my favourite thing was Tim Tams. This week I have discovered um, pea crisps. Um, I would move here just for pea crisps. The salt and vinegar ones, they're amazing. Um, so, yeah, that's my new favourite thing. I think my least favourite thing remains the sheer number of things that can kill me horribly in this country. Um, I keep hearing about new ones, you know. I'm convinced probably, if, if you have gummy snakes, I'm sure those are poisonous too. It just feels like everything is needlessly vicious. So, there's that. <laughs> you want to watch out for those ones. Uh, and finally, before, before you speak to us, when was the first sort of time that you wrestled with uh, these questions of our body and how it relates to our identity? Yeah, I, I guess like most of us, you, there's, there's a certain age where you kind of become self-conscious. Uh, for me, it would have been at, at primary school. You don't sort of think about the way you look when you're really, very, really young, typically. Um, but I remember is my final year at secondary school, a friend of mine drew a caricature of me. That was the first time I saw myself through the eyes of somebody else, and it wasn't particularly flattering. And I remember thinking, oh, is there, is there an issue with the way I look? Is that, you know, you know, that, you, know that you start tumbling down that rabbit trail, and then there's all kinds of stuff to think about. But I think that was the first time I, I remember sort of being conscious of how do I appear to others, and is, is that, that, that apparently matters in some places. And then obviously, since then, you know, we're all becoming increasingly self-conscious in the world around us. Um, this, is, this has changed us. This is, this is neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It's just a thing. But uh, 20 plus years ago, if you went to the men's grooming part of a large supermarket, there would be like, there's deodorant and maybe one brand of aftershave and that's it. Now there's a whole row of stuff. We're, we're way more conscious of how we appear and that's probably good in some ways and unhealthy in other ways. But yeah, that's, I can't remember what you asked, but that's... My answer, apparently. <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say to us. Thank you. So, yes, our, our theme is identity this term at these Christian Union events, and I want to begin just by, um, I think this was pre-pandemic. Pandemic has screwed up my view of time, so anything pre-pandemic feels like it's 15 years ago, even if it was early 2020. There was um, an interview Oprah did with, with Elliot Page, which I think was pre-pandemic, um, it sort of feels recent, but it can't have been since the pandemic because they would have been in, you know, quarantine booths or something. But anyway, I remember watching this this interview. It it it, it was widely shared. It was a very significant and powerful interview. Um, Elliot Page had previously been known as as Ellen Page. I'm sure you're familiar with this. Had starred in the movie Juno and to significant acclaim, um, but had been wrestling with gender identity. Had gone through. Um, a form of transition, and now had the, the new name Elliot and a, a new body. Had had lots of kind of things done, 
and was talking to Oprah about that experience and, and how it all felt and, and so on. And, and for me, one of the most moving parts was when Elliot talked about the experience of, of now kind of coming out of the shower in the bathroom and, and seeing the body in the mirror and now thinking, there you are. And having a sense of, of recognition that evidently had previously been lacking and I'm sure had been very painfully lacking. And I mentioned that, that experience of, of recognition, not because I think Elliot Page's story is, is unusual, but because I, th I think actually it, it sums up and expresses where so many people are today in our culture as we think about our bodies. Um, so the theme is identity this term. Our, our topic today is, is the body. And the, the particular question I want to ask of the Christian faith is, is my body me? Is my body me? Um, I'd never thought of asking a question framed in that way, but uh, I was doing a, an event for teenagers back in London, just again, just before the pandemic, and we were doing a Q&A, people could ask anything they want, and one of the questions was, is my body me? And I thought, oh, it's never occurred to me to ask that question, but that evidently is a question people are asking. So let's take that question to, to Christianity and see what things Christianity has to say. And I want to focus on sort of four things that I think that the Bible would say to us in response to that question. And as you would expect, it's, it's not merely a yes-no answer, it's a, it's a bit more nuanced than that. But here are four things that the Bible says about our bodies that, that can help inform those kinds of discussions about identity. The first thing is our, our body isn't accidental. Second thing, it's not incidental. Thirdly, it's not straightforward. And then fourthly, it's not hopeless. And I hope those things will give us some, some food for thought as we think about this question and we can chat through some of that in the Q&A as well. So the first thing is that our, our body is not accidental. This is something that is very significant uh, to, to kind of Christianity, something that is very significant to the Bible, is that we, we didn't arrive just by chance. Uh, whatever we may believe about the mechanism by which we came into existence, one of the things the Bible is, is very clear about and repeatedly insisting upon is that we're not here accidentally. So a, a verse I want to dig into from the Old Testament, it's from uh, one of the Psalms. It's a kind of fairly well-known verse if you are familiar with, with kind of Christian things, but, but David is writing in this Psalm, for, for your reference, it's Psalm 139, um, verse 14. David says to God, this is a prayer, he says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's a phrase that has sort of spilled into popular culture a little bit, the idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made. And David is saying that's true of him. And by implication, that, that is how God makes all human beings. And we know by now that, that there are many billion human beings that have lived and, and are living today. And that the biblical assertion would be each of those people has been fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, there's something kind of intentional and careful about how God has made us. Um, I, I think the word is artisanal. Someone asked me the other day what artisan, what artisanal means or what artisan means, and I said, I don't know the dictionary definition, but experience tells me it means slightly overpriced and a bit, a bit misshapen, which is, you know... But it, it kind of means it's been handmade. It's not just been kind of factory produced, but there's something kind of handmade going on there. And that seems to be what, what is going on here. If, if that is the case, God is an artisan. Uh, we've, we've been kind of individually made. 
Now, if you ever make it over to um, the lovely United Kingdom uh, and you're looking for some wet weather options to do, which you will need, um, one of the fun things to do is to visit the Cadbury's Chocolate Factory just outside Birmingham. And if you're like me and you like Cadbury's Chocolate, one of the, the kind of side benefits of visiting this place is they, they give you pretty much as much chocolate as you want uh, during the entire day. You just sort of help yourself at various places. There's, there's kind of bits of chocolate that weren't right for the cut. And you, just, you could just, if you've ever wondered how much chocolate you actually can consume in one day, this is the way to find out. Maybe surprised by the results both positively initially and then negatively in the car home afterwards. But one of the fun things about being there is you see these massive machines that just churn out your, your favourite chocolate bars. And you see these things kind of pouring off the, the production line and uh, by, the, by the hundreds and thousands. And it, it, we might think that's kind of how people are made. You know, God, God creates us, just kind of keeps hitting copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste, but we're not mass produced. This psalm would, would tell us that we're, we're kind of handcrafted. David says in the, in the verse beforehand, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And while I've, I've never knitted anything in my life, um, I've watched people knit. I was giving a talk somewhere the other day, and there were people knitting as I was speaking. It's kind of sweet. And that there's something kind of endearingly hands-on. You know, there's no sewing machine used. Each stitch is, is done by hand. Um, someone sent me some winter socks a few years ago, and she, this lady said to, to me, I was, you know, a friend of I've known for a few years, and she said, I thought, you might need some new socks for the winter. And as I was knitting, I was praying for you. And I was thinking, there's something special about the kind of the care that goes into something that is made in that way. And David is saying that that is true of us. God has made us deliberately like that. Now, one of the, one of the things that means is God did intend to make you. Uh, one of the things that we, we sometimes come across is, is people becoming aware that maybe they weren't planned. And I know a few friends for whom that's the case. And, and in, in some cases, it's kind of a, it's part of the family banter. Uh, in other cases, it's, it's actually a really sensitive issue. Uh, that, that sort of feeling of, I, they didn't actually want me, I was an accident. But whether we were intended by our parents, David is saying here, we were definitely intended by God. We weren't a surprise to God. We weren't an accident as far as God is concerned. Uh, God meant to make you. You are here because he meant for you to be here. That seems to be one of the things this psalm is saying. And nor must we misunderstand and think, well, God making us is simply God assembling us as if he got the flat pack material from Ikea and you know got the Allen keys out and just put us together. God making us is more than God simply putting the, you know, the bones in the sockets. It, it's, far more, it's far more wonderful than that. It, it's, it's actually saying God thought you up. Not merely God found some arms and legs and bits of pieces around and put them together to make you, but God came up with the idea of you in the first place. And if I've understood the Bible rightly, God was having a good day when he did. Uh, God meant for you to be here. Which means two things about every single person you will ever meet. <laughs> uh, the first thing is every single person you will ever meet is in some sense amazing. Uh, the Bible says we're all made in the image of God. There is something uh, intrinsically 
amazing about everyone you will meet. There is some aspect of divine dignity upon that person. Everyone you meet is, is worthy of your respect, worthy of your service, worthy of your listening ear, worthy of your care. And we've got to be honest, the other thing that is true of every person you will ever meet is they're a bit of a mess. Both of those things are true. Uh, we need to remember those two things alongside each other. But here's the main thing, your body is not accidental. Which means, as far as David is concerned, it, it is a reason to praise God. So David says, literally, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, the way God has made us is a reason for us to thank God. And I say that very conscious that, that many, maybe most, perhaps all of us, <laughs> to one degree or another, will feel some sense of dissatisfaction with how we look. And so maybe we don't like how we've been made. And yet the care with which we've been made, David says, is reason to thank God. It's, he's not saying his body's perfect. Uh, we don't have to pretend our bodies are perfect to, to thank God for the fact that we have them but they have been fearfully and wonderfully made. So they're not accidental. Secondly, they're not, they're not incidental. This follows on from that. If, if God intended to make our bodies, they're not, they're not entirely incidental to how we think about who we are. So the Bible would, would say that it's not just that you have a body, but that you also are a body. So when God makes Adam in, in Genesis 2, you, you may be familiar with this account, there's, there's the account of creation in Genesis 1 and there's a kind of zoomed in account in Genesis 2. And in Genesis 2, the, the dis description of how God makes the first human being is he, he makes Adam from the dust of the ground and then breathes life into him and he becomes a living being. And that's significant because I think if we were to imagine how God makes someone, we would tend to think that God would have created the soul called Adam and then looked around for something physical to put that soul into. As if, you know, I've got this thing and I, there's a, I need a Tupperware container to stick it in and let's, let's do that. We tend to assume in our own cultural time that the real me is, is the soul and the body is simply the container. And so the soul has the priority, it comes first. And the body is almost arbitrary, it's just this lump of flesh I, I carry around with me. But in, in Genesis 2 terms, we're not imprisoned souls we are animated flesh god took matter and then animated it he didn't merely make a soul and then embody it which means our, our bodies are not incidental our, our, we are meant to be psychosomatic holes there's meant to be an integration between the mind the body and the spirit which means a couple of things as we think about identity it means our, our bodies aren't everything um, there is more to you than merely flesh and blood. There is more to you than your physicality. There is more to you than how you look. Um, a famous verse in the Bible that gives voice to this is when God says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, he says, the Lord does not look at things as man does. In other words, we all have our way of looking and seeing and God apparently has quite a different way. And he goes on to say, man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's true. We, we sometimes only really have appearance to go on. I haven't met most of you, and I'm looking at you now, and that's all I've got to go on. But I know at least 
that if I'm, if I'm just looking at you, all I'm getting is a very limited and incomplete picture of who you are because I know there is more to, to how you're looking at me right now. Uh, there is more to us than just our bodies. Our bodies are not everything. But at the same time, that the body is not nothing. And so I think one of the things the Bible would say is we, we can't fully account for who we are without in some reference, in some way being, you know, referencing the body that we've been created with. So if the body's not everything, it, it is, it's also not nothing. Now again, I think this is perhaps where the, the Bible is quite countercultural. If you think about the movie Avatar, there's a whole bunch more of these movies coming our way very soon. The premise behind that movie is you can put your, yourself not just in another body, but even in the body of a completely different species, and it doesn't really affect who you are. It doesn't change your identity. It's just a costume, effectively. But again, I think the, the Bible would say that's, that's not the case. And I think there are times when we sense that's not the case. Um, if, if, someone, if someone attacks your body, they're, they're not just harming your property, they're attacking you. That is being done to you. You are more than your body, but your body is still you. Um, in a movie, it's a bit of a cliche. If, if someone's caught having an affair and their, their spouse catches up with them, often the line is, well, it didn't mean anything, it was just physical. But actually, the fact that it was physical is why it does mean something. Because you can't just say, well, it was just my body having an affair. Now, if my body was sleeping with that person, I was sleeping with that person, I was having the affair. It's physical, it's, it means something precisely because it is physical. So if our bodies are not incidental, that means our physical presence does matter. And again, we've, we've learned this over the last couple of years as we've, we've had to sort of be remote and separate from each other. We've had to rely on all the non-physical ways of communicating with each other through online stuff and apps and so on. Nevertheless, it really does make a difference to be physically present. So our embodiedness is not incidental. So there's a, there's a lovely verse in the New Testament where one of the early Christian leaders is, is writing to a church and he says, I've, I've got much, this is in 2 John 12 if you're interested, uh, he writes, I've got much to write to you, but I'd rather not use paper and ink. Now paper and ink were brand new, kind of, they were expensive um, ways of communicating at that time, but that's not why he's reluctant to, to write. He says, instead I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. He said, there is, there is joy in having even, you know, FaceTime with someone you've not seen for ages. There's joy in having a, a great catch-up with someone. But he says it's incomplete joy if you don't actually sit down with them face-to-face -face in person. So our bodies are not accidental and therefore they're not incidental. Here's the third thing. Our, our bodies are not straightforward. Uh, again, we, we know this at one level, but it, it's something that, that the Bible helps to account for and explain in more detail. Um, in, in a passage in the New Testament called Romans 8, there's a, there's, a, there's a place where we're told that creation has been subjected to frustration. In other words, the physical universe is kind of out of joint in some ways. It doesn't work in the way that it's meant to. It's not smooth running. And that physical creation includes our bodies. Our bodies are part of creation. And so it's actually saying... Uh, 
our bodies aren't straightforward either. We don't all have an automatically straightforward relationship with our bodies. They don't always work in the way that they should. Our bodies can cause us pain and discomfort. And again, we, we sense that. Uh, we're familiar even, I'm sure, as, as those of kind of student age, you, you are aware of, of some of the physical afflictions that can be life-changing. I'm sure you already know people whose lives have been ruined by some kind of illness or some kind of accident. Uh, we live in a world where, where people get sick and some people stay sick. Um, I was just talking with a, a friend of mine this morning who's at the same age as, as me, and we were saying that we're both pastors, and we were both saying there are certain things that we, we, we feel like we can preach better now because we've lived a bit longer than we could have preached when we were 20. Um, you know, he was saying one of the things that you learn to live with as you get into your 30s is there are going to be certain things you're dealing with that will never get better. It might be a physical issue, it might be a mental health issue, it might be a relational issue. You learn to live with the fact that some things don't get fixed in this life. And a lot of those things are to do with our bodies. We're, we're all aware of affliction. And even at the prime of life, this is you guys, it's, this is, you know, it's downhill from here. <laughs> uh, even, even you are having to take medication for things, right? I mean, even, you know, there's, there's vulnerabilities we have, even at our strongest, to do with our physicality. But it's not just physical affliction that is, is where our bodies are not straightforward. There's also the issue of shame that many of us will feel in some way because of our bodies. Some of us feel shame because of, of how our bodies look. And we feel that sense of self-consciousness, we feel that sense of not looking the way we, we would want to look, not feeling like we don't measure up to whatever standard we've been taught of, of what we're supposed to look like. And all the stats suggest that that sense of shame is, is getting worse. It doesn't matter if you're older or younger, whether you're male or female or whatever it is, all of us are feeling more sense of shame with how we look. Uh, there's, a, there's a standard of beauty that is being presented to us that is increasingly unrealistic and has the net effect actually of making all of us just feel a bit uglier. And so we all feel perhaps a growing sense of shame about the way we look. But there's also shame about how we've used our bodies, what, what our bodies have done. Some of us feel a sense of shame with our bodies because of how we've used them. Uh, there's a scene in Macbeth, if you're familiar with Macbeth, where Lady Macbeth is sleepwalking, and in her sleep she is furiously trying to scrub some stains of blood off her hands because she's been complicit in the, in the murder of the king. And in her sleep she's furiously scrubbing her hands and she's saying, out, damned spot, will these hands ever be clean? Uh, we feel sometimes shame from our bodies because of how we've used them. And sometimes we feel, we feel shame because of, of what others have done to our bodies. Uh, one of the, the saddest aspects of, of abuse is that it, it's often the victim who feels the shame and not the perpetrator. So sometimes we feel shame because of our bodies. And another kind of way our bodies can cause us pain, one that we're, we're more alert to now than we have been in previous years, is this whole area of, of gender dysphoria. Some people feeling as though the body doesn't match their identity and, and who they 
believe themselves to be who they want themselves to be, and that can be an extraordinarily painful experience. Uh, dysphoria, if it's a word you're not familiar with, is the opposite of euphoria. Euphoria is elation, joy, jubilation. Dysphoria is the opposite. It's a profound sense of discomfort and unease and pain. And there may be, you know, different opinions in, in the room about some aspects of some of the ideology going on around the transgender conversation, but the pain for people experiencing gender dysphoria is very real. Um, all of which, if the body is not straightforward, all of which means that we as, you know, certainly Christians should be the most compassionate people on the planet. Uh, certainly we're not, but we should be. Because actually the Bible is accounting for us and illustrating for us the various ways in which people can be feeling some kind of pain because of their body. And so if we meet someone who's got some chronic affliction, or if we meet someone who's experiencing gender dysphoria, our first, our first reaction should be one of compassion. And I hope at the same time as, as Christians we, we can be people who are thoughtful as well on some of these topics. Um, interestingly, Jesus has a couple of things to say in, in Matthew chapter 19, particularly around the area of, of kind of gender that I think are very interesting as we try and have these kind of conversations today. There's, there's a, within the space of just a, two, of just a few verses, Jesus says two quite significant things about gender and our bodies. So in, in the beginning of Matthew 19, for, for your notes, if you want to look it up later on, in Matthew 19 verse 4, Jesus says that from the beginning, God has made us male and female. He's going back to referencing Genesis 1 verse 27. And he is saying that, that, you know, in Genesis 1 verse 27, it says God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. And Jesus is saying from then, God has made us male and female. Jesus is, in some sense, affirming, a, you know, male and female as, as a pairing. Something we would be more hesitant to do uh, in many parts of our world today. But then just a few verses later, Jesus also says some are born eunuchs. In other words, some are born without the physical capability to reproduce. Some are born without the full anatomical kit you would expect. Now, putting those two statements together, you end up, I think, with quite an interesting dynamic because Jesus is saying the fact that we are made by God as male and female doesn't mean there's no complexity. It doesn't mean it's all cut and dried and there's no questions and, and no kind of complication with that. But also the fact that some are born eunuchs doesn't mean, as far as Jesus is concerned, there's no such thing as male and female. So I find Jesus challenging from two directions at the same time, which is often the case with Jesus. Which should, I hope, make those of us who are followers of Jesus a little more nuanced and a little more thoughtful in some of these conversations than some of the kind of cultural positions that we often see around us. But Jesus himself is acknowledging the fact that our, our bodies are not always straightforward. He anticipates that, he sees that, he gets that. But then here's the final point, and it's perhaps the most important one. Our, our, our body is not hopeless. It's not accidental, it's not incidental, it's not straightforward. But it's certainly not hopeless. And one of the things we begin to see as we, as we sort of look at what the Bible as a whole says on this is that the problems we have with our bodies are not ultimately going to be solved by our bodies. 
There are some physical afflictions that we can now cure and fix, which we, we praise God for. Um, but there are some deeper issues with our body that actually will not be resolved by what we can do with our bodies. And it's important for us to know that, because if, if we spend a significant amount of time thinking, well, if I can just get my body the way I want it to be, that will really fix the biggest things that need to be fixed in my life. It's tempting to think, to think that, to feel that way. It's tempting to think, if I can just get my body exactly the way I want it to be, by whatever means, then I will finally feel free and like I'm the real me. And the danger is, if it's not actually that that is our deepest issue, then whatever it is we're doing with our bodies won't ultimately make us feel completely free. And if we've gone through quite a, you know, a long process of, of getting our bodies the way they want us to be and we're not now feeling fully authentic and fully liberated, that doesn't put us back at square one. It puts us somewhere worse because now we don't have hope. If our great hope in life is if I can just get my body like this, then everything will fit into place and things don't, that can lead to a profound sense of hopelessness. And as we look at what the Bible says, it's, it's very clear the, the answer to, the answer to our, our dissatisfaction with our bodies, the answer to the complexity we have with our bodies is the body of Jesus. So in Colossians 1 verse 22 it says, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. There is something that happened with the physical body of Jesus that can get underneath and behind the greatest issues and problems we have in our lives, including the problems we have with our bodies. And as you read through the Gospel accounts, you begin to realise that, that Jesus experienced ultimate bodily brokenness. Jesus experienced the extremes of physical affliction. He was scourged, he was tortured, he was exposed, he was sexually abused, he was stripped naked publicly, he was tortured and he was crucified. He gets what physical affliction is like. Jesus experienced shame. He was, we're told that, you know, his, he was so disfigured by what was being done to him that people turned their faces away from him. Jesus knows what it, Jesus actually knows what it's like to be someone others can't bear to look at. And if we can put it this way, Jesus is not unfamiliar with the experience of at least in one sense of dysphoria because one of the things that the Bible says is that Jesus took in his flesh our sin and our shame. Which means Jesus had the ultimate experience of, of feeling in the wrong flesh, feeling like you're in the wrong flesh. as he, His flesh became the place where our sin and, and shame is dealt with. So Jesus went through ultimate bodily brokenness but by doing so gives us ultimate bodily hope. Because one of the things we begin to see in the Bible is that what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection means that our, our bodies are, now, are not primarily now identified by or defined by what we've done with them. Our bodies are not most defined by what others have done to them. Our bodies become most defined by what Jesus has done for them. And that we begin to find is the way to life. And through his resurrection, we also then begin to realise that our, our bodily life now is not the only bodily life we're ever going to have. There is a, a new body to come, a resurrection body, 
that will be free from all the shame, all the imperfections, all the affliction, all the dysphoria, all the complexity, all the non-straightforwardness that we experience in this life. So those are four brief things. Our bodies are not accidental, they're not incidental, they're not straightforward, and they're not hopeless. I hope that's some, some food for thought as we think about identity and I'll hand over to Tom. Thank you. So we're now going to have a time <clears throat> to ask Sam questions. So if you pull out your phones and go to the, the website slido.com, you'll be prompted to enter uh, the code. Just enter that one that's up on screen and type in any questions that you'd like to ask Sam. Uh, I'll give you one to two minutes to put in questions. If you don't have any particular questions, chat to the people next to you uh, and then we'll get on to questions in just a second. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, had a sneak peek there, some, some very thoughtful questions there already, so we'll, we'll have a crack at them. Thank you. We'll make a start. The first question um, is, how can I thank or praise God for how he made me if I'm really unhappy with my body? Yeah, I, I, I saw that question and I, I, I kind of felt for it because uh, that, that will be the case, I'm sure, for the vast majority of us. Uh, I'm sure... Probably all of us, at the very least the vast majority of us, feel some measure of unhappiness with our body, and for a significant number of us that unhappiness will be quite profound. So in the case of all of us, we're, we're trying to thank God for something that we, we would have chosen quite differently were it up to us. And it's a bit like when you're given a present at Christmas or your birthday from a well-meaning aunt who doesn't actually know you very well, and you're genuinely thankful for the present whilst also thinking, I love the, I love the thought, is there a receipt? Because this, I'm not into this. Um, when it comes to, to God and our bodies, though, the, the physical life itself in the Bible is a gift. Uh, it is a gift for which we thank God, even though it can be a gift that is very painful. Uh, for some of us, physical life is, is, you know, I know people who are in constant pain for one reason or another. So it's, it's not, I praise you for I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, and that's kind of automatic and easy. That, that itself is a step of faith. It goes against our own natural instincts. It's something we have to, to try to train ourselves to do. And so I was talking to some other Christians about this recently, and one of them said that he's, he's put that verse on his bathroom mirror, I praise you for I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, so that as he does his morning routine and, and sees himself in the mirror, irrespective of how he's feeling about what he's seeing, he's thinking, okay, I do need to thank God for this body. So that, that is one thing. Uh, I think as, we, as you go on in the Christian life, for those of us who follow Jesus, the, the sense of approval that we have from Jesus generally can begin to change the way we think about our bodies too because the opinions of others about our bodies start to matter, starts to matter less. If we know that actually we are fully accepted by Jesus, that, that can actually then begin to help us be less influenced by what others might think of us. But that, that it, it takes time. Thank you. The second question we had is, what implications does this understanding of our bodies have for how we might alter it when it comes to tattoos or to makeup? How do we understand that in light of our bodies being a good gift from God? Yeah, there's, there's a, as you would probably expect the, the Bible's answer that's it's it's a bit nuanced. In other words, the Bible's not against those things. Um, the Bible talks about, you know, 
things being adorned, that it's good to adorn the body, it's good to brush your hair, that's okay, that's not kind of contradicting God's design for your, for your physicality, uh, it's good to cut your fingernails and things like that. So there, there's a certain amount of maintenance we have to do anyway, but you know, there, there's, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with, I guess, what we would call beautifying your body in whatever, you know, if you want to style your hair in a certain way, if you want to diet a certain colour, if you want, you know, those sorts of things, I think the Bible helps us to see can, can be good things if we're not doing it out of vanity, um, but we're doing it because I think, actually, this, this is a way of adorning what God has given me. That, that actually is quite a biblical thing to do. But provided we're doing it with the right heart attitude. That would be different, though, to, to I think the Bible would have something different to say about alterations to our body that are kind of contradicting the purpose for which it was made. Um, that, that I, I think, would be a, a more problematic area from a biblical, kind of ethical point of view. Uh, next question. Could you flesh out for us, pardon the pun, uh, what does it mean that Jesus took on our sins in his flesh? Yeah, I, in one sense, I'm, I don't know if I fully know. Uh, I just know that, that that is what the Bible talks about. In, in 2 Corinthians it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Uh, that verse I mentioned earlier talks about how you know, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. So something in the physical death of Jesus dealt with our sin and our shame before God. Um, we, we know from, from, from the Bible that Jesus took our sin on himself and, and as a result of that we can take his righteousness on ourselves and that we can therefore be right in God's sight because Jesus is sharing his righteousness with us just as we're sharing our sinfulness with him. And one of the, the biblical categories that helps make some sense of that is the idea of, of, it, of it being a bit, a bit like a marriage. In a, in a marriage relationship, the, the, what belongs to one rightfully now belongs to the other as well. And there's a sense in which, because our, our relationship with Jesus has a marital dimension to it, it's appropriate for us to, to receive his righteousness and for, for him to receive our sinfulness. It's not God filling the books or doing something dodgy. But beyond that, I, I don't know, actually. There's probably, to continue the, the pun, a body of work on that that uh, we, can, we can study. So if I'm going to go out and live. This will be our, our last question for now. Feel free to come and ask Sam any of the other questions we had that weren't answered. Um, but in light of uh, our ways being a good thing, uh, how do we understand uh, eating and living healthily and sort of the maintenance and looking after our bodies uh, in that framework? Yeah, I love that question. And that, that is a, it's sometimes, it's some, sometimes we think, well, if, you know, whether we're Christians or not, we think if, if God is there, the bit he's interested in is my spiritual bit, not my physicality. That, that has been, that was the default setting in the ancient world, that the Greeks, the Romans, those other Near Eastern religions were very down on the body and very kind of pro the spirit and the soul. And the whole goal was to get away from your body and have some kind of heavenly, pure spiritual existence. And the, the Christians and the Jews came along with a very different view of the physical body being good. The Christians even believing in a physical resurrection, that we're going to take our bodies with us into eternity. So, in other words, questions about the body and the, the maintenance of the body and the care for the body are thoroughly good questions to ask. They're not unspiritual, 
they're not kind of a spiritual distraction. And the New Testament talks about, in Ephesians 5, how we're, we're to care for and nourish our bodies. Uh, 1 Timothy 4 talks about physical training having value. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 9 about the need to, to discipline the body, not because it's a, a bad thing you're punishing, but because it's a good thing that needs to be controlled. And so the, the considerations of, of what I eat, you know, what I eat and how I live, those things, those are not unspiritual. Uh, they're, not, they're not good questions to have as the most important thing in life, but they are healthy questions to ask as part of discipleship. If this, if this body is a gift from God, how can I, actually, how can I look after this body in a way that is, is honouring to him? That's a good thing to talk about. Thanks.